And if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn to 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel chapter 12. If you're wondering where 2 Samuel it is, is it's in the Old Testament, sort of in the middle of your Old Testament. We're looking at 2 Samuel chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 15 to 25 today. Before I take you there and before we read that together as a church family, uh, let me tell you what we're talking about today. Really excited to bring this message to you because I really believe that many of you in this place need this message, that some of you guys will be very, very encouraged by what we're sharing this morning. See, today the message I'm here to share with you is called, When God Closes a Door. Has you, have you ever gone through a time in your life where God seemed to close a door? Where maybe it was one of those situations where you worked really hard to attain a certain goal, no matter how hard you worked, for some reason the door never opened. Or maybe it was a situation where you were hoping for some good news. You knew that that news was coming, but then for some reason you didn't get that good news. Instead, you got news that was the opposite of what you were hoping for. It seemed like God closed the door. Maybe you know it was a situation where there was someone in your life that you cared very deeply about, but that person isn't here anymore. And it's as if God closed the door on that relationship. Maybe that person's still around, but you guys are in a different place when it comes to your relationship with one another. And God seemed to close the door on that chapter of your life. Have you ever been through a situation where God closed a door? Well, we're going to talk about that today. What happens when God closes a door? What do you do when God closes a door? You know, another way of saying when God closes a door, another way of saying it is simply saying when things don't go your way. And if things are not going your way this season of your life, then this message is for you. We're going to talk about what do you do when God closes a door? Fact is this, all of us will from time to time experience situations where God seems to close a door. Even Jesus himself, you know, experienced closed doors. When he was ministering on earth, he would tell his disciples, hey guys, just want you to be prepared. In case you go to a town and they don't welcome you, what do you want to do? Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Because sometimes you're going to experience closed doors. Even today, we believe Jesus, he did not just die on the cross, but he also rose again from the grave and he's alive today and he's working by his Holy Spirit. How many of you guys know that God is knocking on the doors of people's hearts? In fact, the book of Revelation chapter 3 talks about how I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with him and have a relationship with him. In other words, Jesus stands on the door at the door of every person's heart and he knocks. And some people open the door, some people don't. Jesus himself experiences closed doors. How many of you guys know this? Is that when a door is closed that you wish was opened, what happens in your heart? Well, sometimes you feel disappointment. Sometimes you feel frustrated. Sometimes you feel disheartened. Sometimes you feel scared. Sometimes it's very, very painful. But we're going to learn today that when God closes a door, he's actually doing three very important things in your life. When God closes a door, it's not because he's cruel. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's not there. But he's doing three important things that you need to understand if you want to respond well to a closed door. Because how many of you guys know this? The difference between a successful person and an unsuccessful person is not that a successful person never encounters closed doors and an unsuccessful person always encounters closed doors. The difference is in how they respond to the closed door. If you believe that, say amen. Because the fact is, all of us at some point are to experience the pain of a closed door. The question is, what do you do when you experience it? And today we're going to learn three important things that God is doing when you experience a closed door. And if you will take these to heart, you will actually be able to take that closed door and find out that it is actually maybe a blessing in disguise. Find out that maybe it could actually even be the best thing that ever happened to you. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 15 to 25. Why don't you help me preach in this place this morning? 
and read with me right now. What does it say in a big, loud voice? Let's say it. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused. He would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought... While the child was still living, we spoke to David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he is dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went into his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. His servants asked him, why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet to name him Jedidiah. See, what's going on in this passage today? See, you've got a guy called David. Everyone say David. David, he's the king of Israel, most powerful man in his nation. And he is in a time when kings are going off to war, he is on vacation. He decides to do a staycation. He decides to stay at home. And even though he should be in battle, he's on the rooftop of his house and he's not really doing very much. And one day he's on the rooftop of his house and he notices this beautiful girl called Bathsheba who's bathing. I don't know how he was able to notice it, but she's bathing and she's taking a bath. Maybe that's why her name was called Bathsheba. I'm not sure why, but, but her name is Bathsheba for some reason. And, and, and she, uh, you know, she, she, she's, she's, she's taught, she, she catches the eye of David. David says, bring her to me. They end up having an affair. And this affair leads to a pregnancy. Bathsheba becomes pregnant with David's child. David, in an attempt to cover it all up, tells the the captain of his army, he says, Joab, send back Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Send him back here right now. And the reason is because he wanted Uriah to go back home and and, spend time with his wife and sleep with his wife so that everyone would think that the baby was Uriah's. But see, the thing was, Uriah was such a noble guy. He was such a loyal soldier that even when he went back to Jerusalem, back to his hometown with his wife there, he refused to do anything with his wife. He instead, he slept at the front of, the, of King David's house. And, and people would be, why aren't you going back home to be with your wife? He's like, how can I go back home when my brothers are risking their lives for us and I'm sitting here? I can't do that. And so he refused to do it. And so David goes, okay, just go back to the field then. And he goes back to the field, and David, since his first plan fell apart, he has a second plan. He tells his commander-in-chief, Joab, hey, Joab, I want you to send Uriah to the field where the fighting is the fiercest, and when the enemies are attacking, I want you to withdraw from Uriah so that he can be killed. That's exactly what happens. Uriah is killed, essentially murdered by King David, and David thinks to himself, okay, now's my chance. I'm going to marry Bathsheba, who's now widowed, we'll have this baby, and life will go on. And see, how many of us know that we might think we can fool people, but we can never fool God. If you believe that, say amen. 
And see, God, he noticed what happened. He sent a prophet called Nathan who spoke into David's life. He said, David, what you've done is wrong. You not only have committed adultery, but you've murdered an innocent man. How could you do that? David, he's convicted of his sin. He starts to repent. And what, 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 the other thing that happens, this baby, this baby that was born out of that affair becomes sick deathly ill. You know, David, he starts to plead for this baby's life. He's like, he weeps, he fasts, he refused to eat, he refused to get up from the ground. He just, for seven days, he's just on his knees, pleading for this baby's life, knocking on the door of heaven, going, please have mercy on me, please have mercy on this child. But on the seventh day, this child dies. And you know, what he does at, when he receives the news of the baby's death, he does something very unexpected. He gets up from the ground. The Bible says he changes his clothes. He puts on lotions. He gets up and he eats. And people are like, what are you doing? Why, like, how could you just move on this way? Are you happy that your baby is dead? And, and David said, don't misunderstand me. When the baby was still alive, I thought there was a chance that God might open that door and let him be healed. But now he is dead. I'm not going to see him again. I'm going to go to him but he's not going to return to me. In other words, that baby's in heaven. One day I'll see him in heaven, but I'm not going to see him back on earth again, so I'm going to move on with life. Maybe you're here today, and there's a closed door that's happened in your life, and you're having a tough time moving on. Maybe you worked really hard at, you know, at, at, at getting that result, but the result didn't come, and you have a tough time moving on. You worked super hard at that relationship, but still that relationship fell apart, and you have a tough time moving on. You tried so hard to change that situation, but no matter how hard you tried, no matter how hard you prayed, the situation didn't change, and you have a tough time moving on because it seemed as if God closed the door. If that's your situation today, and you have a tough time moving on, this message is for you. See, when God closed a door on David's life, David was able to move on because he understood understood three things that God does when he closes the door. And if you will take these three things to heart, it'll enable you to move on and to find that, in fact, that closed door was not a punishment from God, but that closed door was actually a blessing in disguise. What happened with David was because he was able to move on, he went back to his wife Bathsheba. They end up having a baby. This baby was called Solomon, and they would even give this baby a nickname. The same prophet who convicted David of his sin, this guy called Nathan, he says, I'm going to give him a nickname. It's called Yedidiah, which means love by the Lord. To show that even when we make the most horrible mistakes, God's love for us never fails. If you believe that, say amen. Today we're going to learn about closed doors. What do you do when a door gets closed and how do you respond? We're going to learn about that today. See, I'm, I'm going to share a few stories from my life today that are stories of when God closed a door in my life. These aren't the easiest stories for me to tell, but the reason why I'm telling them to you this morning is because I believe that there are some people who need to hear these stories and who will be encouraged by these stories. And I want to tell you today that when God closes a door in your life, it's actually a blessing in disguise. It may not seem like it at the time. It can be extremely frustrating, even painful at the time, but it's actually a blessing in disguise. And in fact, when God closes the door, he's doing three things. The first thing that God does when he closes the door, why don't you write this down? When God closes the door, it means God is giving you an unexpected opportunity. When God closes the door, he's giving you an unexpected opportunity. Everyone say an opportunity. Say it again, opportunity. See, we often associate open doors with opportunity. We associate closed doors with a lack of opportunity. But I'm here to tell you today is that when God closes a door in your life, it's actually an opportunity. He's actually giving you a new opportunity that you didn't expect. Do you guys grow up ever having a dream job? 
Maybe you wanted to be a ballerina. Maybe as a child, maybe uh, you wanted to be an athlete. I, I had a, a couple dream jobs when I was you know, seven, eight, nine years old. You know what they were? Let me tell you the first one. The first one I was hoping to be when I was a kid. When I grew up, I would tell people, when I grow up, I want to be the president of Nintendo Corporation. That was, that was my, my dream. I wanted to you know, build all these different games. I wanted to create my own Nintendo theme park where you could play you know, real-life Mario Kart and, and, and shoot turtles at your enemies and all that stuff. That was my dream at one time. You know, my, other dream, my other dream was to become the first Chinese hockey player in the NHL. That was my other dream. Neither one of those dreams came true, obviously. But as I went on into my years in high school, got a little bit older, as I grew my relationship with God, as I started to understand a little bit more of the way that God wired me, there were two callings or two career paths that I could see my life taking. The first was becoming a lawyer. The second was becoming a pastor. It just seemed that the way that God wired me, it just seemed that those two things were the two things that I think would, would fit the way that God made me the best. And I remember, you know, in my second year of university at UBC, I was doing a Bachelor of Arts degree, and uh, I just think, I remember doing some research, and I realized that actually I don't have to wait until I get my bachelor's degree to apply for law school. I can actually apply during my second year of university. So that's exactly what I did. I thought, you know, I'm not going to expect too much, but I'm just going to do my best, put my application in, and see what happens by God's grace somehow a door opened for me to go to law school right after my second year of university. And so at 20 years old, I fly to Toronto and I start working and studying in a law school with people who are much, much older than me. People who are like, you know, five, six, seven, sometimes 15, 20 years older than me. And it was kind of awkward, but I'm just going through these three years of law school. And I remember the first thing they told us about law school, it's three years, right? Everyone say three years. Three years of law school, they say in the first year, get ready, they're going to scare you to death. Second year, they're going to work you to death. Third year, they're going to bore you to death. So get ready. Then I thought to myself, you know what? You don't have to die three times in order to get through law school because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. And so we went through you know, a couple years of law school. During the second year of law school, you know, my big goal during that second year was to find a job. In fact, that's what the goal was for most second-year law students, is that the reason why we're in law school in the first place is so that we can work as a lawyer later on. And the whole goal of many law students was to say, if I can find a job after my second year of law school and just work for that firm for the summer, it means that after I'm completely done law school, after my third year, I can go back to that same firm and work there full time. And that was the goal of every, pretty much every law student that we were, I was studying with. It was my goal as well. And so I decided, you know, I started doing research. There were these two firms that I thought it would be really cool to work for those firms. There were some, two of the biggest firms in the country, two of the biggest firms in our city. And I thought to myself, you know, it would be awesome to work there. And, uh, and so I, I put in my application. I got some interviews. I, I went through the first round of interviews and it went well. I did a second round of interviews that went really well. And finally, I remember the, that night it was you know this big cocktail reception, and you know everyone's you know dressed up in their suits and their dresses. And you know I've, I've got I've got a cup, and everyone's got a cup, and we're all just kind of going around getting to know people, but especially trying to get to know the firms that we hope will really hire us. And so we'd be going up to different people. And I remember you know because I was you know honestly very thankful for the opportunity to meet with the people that I got to meet. I wrote a couple letters to just say thank you to those two firms that I was especially interested in. I just thought that was just courteous. I thought that was good etiquette. And I put them in my breast pocket. And I went up to the first guy. And before I had a chance to say thank you, he said, hey, Justin, we're really glad we had a chance to meet with you. We're actually going for dinner right now. Uh, do you want to join us? We, we'll have some dinner. And I was like, oh, thanks so much. I actually already ate. Uh, and so I'm not that hungry right now. But, but I just want to say thanks so much for the time. In fact, I wrote a letter to say thanks so much for considering me and look forward to hearing from me. I gave him the letter. And he took the letter. He's like, oh. Okay, all right, I'll, I'll see you around then. 
and then he had a strange look on his face. And I went off to, to someone else, and I found the other firm and the other partner that interviewed me, and, uh, and, 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 and he said the same thing. He was like, hey, Justin, uh, we're actually just both go for dinner right now. You want to join us? Uh, we'd love to have you join us for dinner. Uh, I was like, oh, you know what? I've already eaten. I'm good. Thanks so much. It's been a long day, but I just want to say thanks so much for the time that you spent with me. Here's an envelope. There's a letter in there. I just want to say thanks so much. Really don't take for granted your time. And he had a very strange look on his face as well. He took the letter. He put it in his pocket. and said, okay, I guess I'll see you around. I left that building. I left that reception. I was in the subway. And all of a sudden, I get a call from my friend. And I didn't know how I knew this, but he was like, hey, Justin, did, did I see you just like turn down two invitations to dinner from these two firms? I was like, yeah, I mean, no big deal, right? I'm just, I already ate, and, you know, we've already done the interviews. He's like, no, 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 no. Don't you understand that when they invite you to dinner, it means that that's the final interview. And that, that's them ready to give you the job. Are you, like, what, do you what did you do? What, what were you doing, like, rejecting those, the, those interviews? I was like, I, I had no idea. No one ever told me this. And, 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 I, and by that point, it was too, it was too late for me to, to call anyone. All I could do was the next morning, I called these different firms, and I said, hey, um, just wanted to see, is there anything else I could do to further my application? And there's, oh, I'm so sorry, because we, 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 you said you didn't want to go to dinner, so we actually gave the jobs to someone else. Everyone go, oh. And um, it was a frustrating moment because I'm like, oh, my goodness. And, it's for, and for some reason, not only did those two doors close, but for some reason, throughout the rest of that second year of law school, no matter who I applied to, the doors just remained closed. And I was like, you know, was there something wrong with me? I think my grades are pretty good. I think I'm a pretty good candidate. But for some reason, the doors never opened during that time. Finally, one day I'm at church. I'm sitting near the back of the sanctuary. And I'm listening to the people on the stage. And, and one, 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 on that Sunday, I remember there was a girl who came up. I'd never met her before. She, get up, she got up on the stage and she said, uh, today, and she was kind of nervous, so today I'm here to share with you about my experience going on missions to China where I got the chance for a summer to teach English. And she started sharing about the experiences she had going on this mission trip, teaching English to students in China, leading them to Jesus, all that stuff. And I thought to myself in the back of my mind, even while I was dealing with the disappointment of a closed door, I thought to myself, hmm, maybe that's for me. And over the next month, I couldn't get it out of my head that maybe the reason why all these doors had closed was because there was another door that was waiting for me to go through. And that was the idea of going on a short-term mission trip. And, you know, I, I talked to my parents about it. They were like, there's no way we're allowing you to go to China. And I was like, uh, are you sure? And they're like, yeah, no way. And I prayed about it more. They, they, they called me back the next day and said, fine, you know what? If you want to go, we fully support you. Um, and then I was like, okay. I put in my application to go. I went through that interview. Praise God, that door opened. And that summer, without having a job to go to, without knowing where my career as a lawyer would go, I just went to this missions trip and had the time of my life. Met some amazing people. Went and see, saw places that I never got a chance to see before. I had a chance to teach English and to meet students and lead people to Jesus. It was an amazing time where, for some reason, that summer was a life-changing time where not only was I discovering more of the way that God wired me and made me, but I was having the time of my life doing it. I remember being on the rooftop of the dorm that I was, I was, I was staying at, and I was just talking to God and saying, God, this is an amazing thing. I would not trade the life that I have now for that, the life that I could have had, it, like you know, working in some summer position, in some office. I'm so glad that things turned out this way. And it just turned out that God had a greater plan. If you believe that, say amen. And remember, you know, I, the, the, one of the more amazing things about it was at the end of that mission trip, I received a call from one of the firms that uh, had, I'd given that letter to. 
and uh, they said, hey, uh, we want to ask you to come back and do one more interview with us. And at the end of that mission trip, I went to that interview, and they said, we want to offer you a full-time position at our firm once you finish law school. And I was like, are you serious? The very position that I wanted by thinking that I could get it by getting a summer job, God said, you know what, uh-uh, you don't even need the summer position. You can go to summer, to, 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 to a summer mission trip, and I'm still going to give you the job anyways. If God is not good, I don't know who is. Give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's how things turned out. And it just turned out, I learned a few things from that experience. One is this is when you seek God's kingdom first, he truly adds everything you need. If you believe that, say amen. It's, he might not add it the way you expect. He might not add it when you hope he will, but he will add it when you need it. And it's because when you seek his kingdom first, his promise is true. He will add everything that you need. There's a second promise that I learned, or a second truth that I learned from that experience, is that when God closes a door, at the very same time, He's giving you a new and unexpected opportunity. See, every closed door is a chance or an opportunity for you to live life differently than before. See, if if God had not closed the door on that summer job, I would have never considered the opportunity to go on missions on that summer. And the same way, maybe you're here today and, and you've experienced a closed door and all you can think of is why that door closed and sad the door closed and mad the door closed and mad at others and mad at God and mad at yourself because the door closed. But I'm, I'm here to tell you today that when God closed the door, he's actually giving you an unexpected opportunity. And if you've experienced a closed door recently, let me tell you, the reason why that door is closed is not because God is mad at you. It's not because God is here to punish you. It's not because God you know, is trying to, trying to say, I'm not there, I don't care, but God closed Close the door because he's giving you a new opportunity to trust in him like never before, to live for him like never before. He's giving you an opportunity to do something that you would have never considered doing if that door had never closed. He's giving you an opportunity to learn something that you would have never learned if that door had never closed. He's giving you an opportunity to become someone that you would have never become if that door had never closed. If I'm making sense in this place, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now because God does that when he closes a door. You know, The Sound of Music is one of my favorite movies. The hills are alive with the sound of music. You know that song or that, that, that movie? There, there's Maria von Trapp. And what does she say? She says, when God closes a door, he must always open a window. And, and, and what is that? It's the idea that whenever, whenever God closes a door, it's because there's a greater unexpected opportunity that he's giving to you. If you believe that, say Amen. Helen Keller, she once said this. Helen Keller said, when one door closes, another opens. But often we look so long at the closed door that we don't see the one that has been opened for us. Has that happened to you before? You've experienced a closed door and you're just focused on the closed door. You're not focused on the opportunities. You're just focused on the closed door. See, if you've experienced that today, let me give you a tip when you experience a closed door. We can write this down. Whenever God closes a door, ask. Ask God. Ask yourself. What opportunities does this closed door make possible? See, what opportunities is God opening up for me and wanting me to pursue instead of that door that I so hoped would open? 
See, maybe you've never thought about going on a short-term mission trip, but now, because a door has closed, you have a chance to do just that. Maybe you've always wanted to spend more time with your family, but you're always too busy with all your stuff, but now a door is closed, and you have an opportunity to do that. Maybe you've always wanted to grow in your relationship with God, but you've always made a whole bunch of excuses and never made any practical steps toward it, and now a door has closed, and it's almost as if God is saying, hello, make the most of this opportunity to get to know me before you get to know the girl or get to know the guy. You but before you do that, before you find a girlfriend or boyfriend, get to know me first. Maybe that's what God is doing because when you experience a closed door, it's because God is trying to show you there's an even better opportunity just around the corner. If you believe that, say amen. Have you ever experienced a closed door? Have you experienced one recently? Look at Ephesians 5, 15 to 17 with me right now. Read in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. It's, and, and keep on going. It says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, sometimes we can do the opposite of what Ephesians 5 is talking about. A door closes, and we don't live wisely, we live very foolishly. We just keep on blaming people, blaming God, being mad, sulking, throwing a pity party for ourselves. But see, Ephesians 5, 5, 15 to 17 says, don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Ask yourself, what opportunities are there? Make the most of those opportunities. Because with every closed door, there's an opportunity that you didn't expect that God has given to you. If you believe that, say amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Are you learning something today? Number two, when God closes the door, it means God is teaching you humility. Everyone say humility. See, what is humility? Humility, you know, when, when we're doing our Sweeter Than Honey series on relationships, I gave you a definition for humility about how it relates to other people. Humility is having a secure self-image where you can put others first and serve others. You can stoop down to make others great. Let me give you another aspect of what humility is. See, humility is recognizing that only God is God. Humility is recognizing that you are not God. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not God. And you can talk, say back to the person, duh. The, the fact is this, a lot of us, you know, will you know, we'll laugh if people say, yeah, you're not God. Oh, of course I know that. But the fact is this, a lot of us, we live as if we're God sometimes. We live as if the whole world revolves around us, that life is all about me, my happiness, my comfort, my convenience, my dreams, my plans, and when these, th these things don't, 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 don't work out the way we want, it's as if there's something wrong with the world. But see, here's the thing. When God closes the door, he's teaching you humility to recognize that, ha, huh, hello, you're not God, I'm God. And, and here's the thing, is humility is realizing that life is not all about me, that the world does not revolve around me, but it's realizing that I was made to live for something bigger than me, for someone bigger than me, not for my own plans and purposes, but for God's plans and God's purposes. If you believe that, say amen. See, humility is not just putting yourself down, but it's about putting God ahead of you. It's not about having a poor self-image where you're always saying, I'm worthless, I'm nothing, I'm a loser, I'm a failure. But it's about saying, I realize I'm of great worth in God's sight. So much so that God not only sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins so I could be forgiven, but even sent his Holy Spirit to live in me so I could live a life of 
giving glory to God. I can live my life to do it to further his kingdom. I have a calling. I've got a purpose on this earth. And it's not just to go to heaven. It's to expand God's territory on earth. Come on, if you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's the reason why he teaches you humility. Turn to your ear and say, I need humility. Amen. I need humility. How many of us know it takes power and strength to be humble? A lot of people think, oh, being humble is being weak. No, it's not. See, humility takes power and strength. It's recognizing that I am not God, that God is God, I am not, and I'm going to live for him. You know, prior to God closing the door on that summer job, if I had to be really honest with myself and take a good look at my life during that time, I'd been a Christian for about five years up to that point. And I'd gotten baptized, I went to church, I served in church. But if I had to summarize the way my life basically went during that time, if I were to summarize the way my relationship with God was during that time, it was basically this. It was, I have my life and there's God on the side. When I go through challenges, God helps me. When I go through discomfort, God comforts me. When I am sick, God heals me. When I need encouragement, he encourages me. And he helps me do what I want to do. And see, this is the thing. If that's the life that you live as a Christian, you're missing the point of being a Christian. See, God doesn't call us to live lives where it's all about us, and God is sort of the side order of fries to our lives called the burger. He makes us to be people who are living around his purposes and saying, you know what? God, you are doing something. I want to join you in that. God, you are doing something. I want to be part of what you're doing. I want to order my life around you and your purposes. That is called humility. If you believe that, say amen. And, and sometimes it just, it took a closed door in my life for me to kind of realize that. That, hey, JB, could it be that over these past few years, yeah, you served in church. Yeah, you, you tried to honor God at certain moments. But the direction of your life has very much been just about you, your happiness, your success. What about my kingdom? What about my glory? What about the bigger purposes for which I have created you? And maybe if you're experiencing a closed door today, that is the very lesson that God is teaching you. That this life is not about you. It's about how you can live this life for someone bigger than you. If you believe that, say amen. And so if you had to be honest with yourself, and you, could, and, and, and you have to say that maybe just like me years and years ago, that may, really my relationship with God has really just been about God helping me do what I want to do. That's basically the boundaries of my relationship with God all this time. It's time to expand your territory. Amen. It's time to expand God's territory in you to say, you know what? I'm not just going to be all about my thing. And when my thing doesn't work out, I blame God or I ask God to help me with my thing. But I'm going to be about God's thing. I'm going to be about God's kingdom. I'm going to be about God's glory. And I want to see God use my life for a purpose that's bigger than me. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. If I'm preaching well in this place, come on, give God a big shout in this place right now too. Come on. See, when God closes the door, it's a reminder that you are not God. This life is not about you. It's about someone much, much bigger than you. It's about Jesus. And if that's you today, I want to encourage you, if, if you're in that place where you've always kind of lived your relationship with God, where it's basically very self-serving, it's basically just about how God can help you. If that's you in this place, I want to challenge you and encourage you to make 2018 the year when God expands your territory. When God expands his territory in you. And one of the best ways you can do it is you can go on a short-term mission trip this year. Let me tell you this. A short-term mission trip isn't a 
isn't a complete solution. It's not like after you go on a short-term mission trip that all of a sudden, you know, you will always live your life for God's glory no matter what. The fact is those who've gone on a short-term mission trip, you know that sometimes coming back from a short-term mission trip is even harder than going. But the fact is this, a short-term mission trip is one of those things that expands your territory. It stretches the way you think. It stretches the way you feel. It stretches the way you live your life. Because all of a sudden, you are not just living life where you're doing your, you're going in your direction. God is helping you. But you are saying, I'm going to take a week. I'm going to take two weeks. I'm going to take a month to just get around what God is doing and allow God to stretch me. And maybe even help others in the process. And if you have never gone a short-term mission trip, can I encourage you, make the most of every opportunity opportunity to do that this year. That's why we've got two awesome opportunities coming up. In spring break, we've got the Myanmar trip. We encourage you to join uh, Lawrence and Catherine and them and their team. If you are free in the summer, go and make time to be part of our Taiwan missions trip and sign up. You can talk to me for more information about either one of those trips. We'll send you to the right people. But it's all about doing something that's going to get you out of your comfort zone. If, I, if you believe that, say amen. Sometimes we'll sing songs like, you know, Lord, I offer my life to you, or I give you my heart. and all. We sing all these songs, but here's this thing. Maybe you sung those songs as well. Let me tell you this, though. If you can't even take out a week out of your life, to give it spif- just directly, specifically, exclusively for God's purposes, if you can't take out a week or two weeks or a month out of your entire life to just say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to serve you for a week, and do, then... If you can't do that, have you really given your life to God? Have you? Or is it more just, this is my life, and God, can you just bless me and help me? God made us for a much, much bigger purpose than that. And so I'm going to encourage you today, is that if we want to see God expand our territory in 2018, it's about learning to see closed doors as lessons in humility. If you believe that, say amen. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, 15 with me. Read in a big, loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Say it one more time and read in a big, loud voice, like 10 times louder. 1, 2, 3, it says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Who's this him? Who's this person who died for all? It's Jesus. Everyone say Jesus. Jesus died for all, that those who live, that's us, that those who live should no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus who died for us and who was raised again. That is why you are here on this earth right now. It's not to live for yourself. It's for us to live for him who died for us and was raised again. If you believe that, give God a big hand right now. That's why you're here. That's why you're here. Tell your neighbor to say, that's why you're here. Let me give you another definition for humility. I've given you others in the past. Let me give you one more definition today. Humility is living for Jesus, not for yourself. Humility is living for Jesus, not for yourself. It's saying, God, I'm not just going to be about me and my plans and my dreams and my convenience and see if you can help me with that. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to get around your dreams and your plans and your purposes and see how you can use me as an instrument to fulfill those. If you believe that, say amen. And so when God closes the door in your life, Don't blame God. Don't be mad. Instead, see it as, you know what? It's a situation where God is asking you, what are you really living for? When God closes the door, God is basically asking you once again, who do you really put your hope in? Is it in me or is it in the door? 
Is it in me or is it in that opportunity that you thought went away? Is it in me or is it in that other person? Is it in me or is it in you? See, when God closed the door, it's him teaching us humility. Number three, and we're going to close today. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Number three, when God closed the door, it means God is telling a greater story through your life. When God closed the door, he's telling a greater story through your life. When God closed the door, it means that he's writing a story that you could not write for yourself. And it's a much better story than anything you could ever write. How many of you guys know that Jesus, he's the best story writer, amen? With every story, with every good story, there's suspense, there's drama, there's tension, there's highs, there's lows, you know, there's excitement, there's drama, there's comedy, there's laughter, there's all that stuff, and eventually there's overcoming, there's, there's, there's getting over struggle. Could you imagine if your life was the opposite, where just everything always went your way? You know, you, you get married, you find the love of your life, you, you, have your, you have your white picket fence dream come true, and you've got two happy kids, uh, you know, you, you, know, the, 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 you know, the music is always playing, the dog never poos, you know, like, you, know, the, you, 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 you never have to take a shower, you know, you're getting promotion after promotion without doing anything at all. It's just this super, super cushy, comfy life where it's all about you. That's a life that deep down we kind of all dream for, but at the end of the day, it is far less than the story that God wants to write in and through your life. If you believe that, say amen. That's why Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. God wants to write a greater story of overcoming in your life than anything you could write for yourself. Let me tell you a story. So, you know, I I get this job at this firm that I always wanted to work for. Um, I go through my third year of law school and everything is going well. You know, the best part of my third year of law school, you know what it was? It was, had nothing to do with law school. It had everything to do with uh, Pastor Charlene. Because during that time, we got reconnected. We started a long-distance relationship. I, that's another story in and of itself. But uh, that was going on. Uh, during that time, I was finishing my law school time. And I came back to Vancouver. And, you know, everything is going well, you know, I'm working at this firm as an artling student. Things are going very well. I, I passed the bar exam, uh, you know, at the age of 24. I think I may have unofficially become one of the youngest people to become a licensed lawyer in BC. You know, got hired back at the end of that time where they were like, yeah, we like what you did. Come back as an associate in our firm. Charlene and I, we got engaged. We bought a house. We had a mortgage. Everything was going well. And I had it all planned out. You know, Charlene and I, we were going to get married. We we're going to buy a home. We we're going to have a mortgage to pay, but, you know, provide that I did a good job, uh, which I fully expected to do, you know, it meant that we'd have a comfortable life, you know, I'd I'd have a good paying, high profile job at a prestigious firm, you know, we'd still serve at church, yeah, you know, but, you know, but we'd have our life, we'd we'd be happy, It's, it's comfortable, that was my plan. And see, during my second year working at this firm, uh, I remember I went through a, like a performance review and everything was good, everything was great. They were like, yeah, just keep on going, you're doing well. Six months later, uh, at the second performance review, I thought I'd gotten even better. I thought I'd done an even better job. I thought that uh, I'd, uh, you know, done, uh, you know, like improved from the past one. But then they, they had this very interesting thing where they, they brought these two partners into the firm, into my office. They, they sat me down and they said, Justin, um, please close the door. Okay, uh, Justin, uh, we, uh, we have something to tell you, which is that uh, we, we need to let you go. We need to let you go. There's going to be disengagement. And when I heard the news, I was absolutely shocked. I was like, why? I, I thought things were going so well. And, um, and they were just like, yeah, I mean, th- it's, it's just uh, we can't really uh, do much here, but uh, this is a decision that we came to, and, and this is it. And, and, and I was shocked. 
Um, I remember I was looking at the, one of the partners in the eye as he's talking to me about it. And the other partner, he had his hand in his face like this, just like. And, uh, and, and they couldn't really go into that much detail about it, but I was just, oh, okay. All right, is there anything that I did wrong? Is there anything? And, and, there, and, and, and it was one, just one of those things where I um, didn't really understand why. But I, can, I do know this, is that as I'm sitting in this chair and I'm, I'm listening to this news, I couldn't help but in addition to the shock, sense an incredible sense of peace in my heart as if the Holy Spirit was saying, don't worry, I'm in control. Everything's going to be more than fine. And um, I remember after that meeting, I, I called Shar, and, uh, and I said, hey, Shar, there's something I need to tell you. Uh, you might need to pull over uh, to, to hear this news. Um, and, uh, and I told her, I, I, think, I think I was just let go by my company. And um, I was amazed at how calm she was about it. She was like, you know, Char, she was like Jay, don't worry. God is in control. We're going to be more than fine. And I remember just a couple, we, we were scheduled to get married a month and a half later. Um, we had a house to pay for. Um, it was a situation where there was just now all of a sudden a ton of uncertainty. All of a sudden, my white picket fence, comfortable life, all those plans, <laughs> door closes. And all of a sudden, I have no idea what we're going to do. We got married on September 1st, 2003. And we both go into marriage, both of us without a job, uh, both of us not knowing what's going to happen. And uh, we went, what, what else could you do? We went on an extended honeymoon, all right? Uh, you know, we, we went to, uh, and had a good honeymoon. We decided to come back from that honeymoon and just continue with our honeymoon, right? And, you know, we, we just played Scrabble a lot and just did what married couples do. And, you know, just, we just did all that stuff. And, 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 and it was during that time that we eventually got to praying about, God, what is, what is your next step for us? Why that closed door? And uh, during that time of prayer, one day, Shar, she says to me, actually, Jay, I didn't want to tell you to this. I didn't want you to know this, or I don't want to tell this to you when, uh, when it actually happened. Um, but when you told me that you lost your job, I was actually so excited. I thought that was great. And I was like, why? It's because, and she said, it's because, you know, I know that God has called us to be here in Vancouver for the long term. But I just thought, you know, at this stage in our lives, when we're still young, We've just gotten married. We don't have kids. What an awesome time would it be if we just kind of took, like, the first few years of our lives, or even just a year, just to do something different, just to do something adventurous that's a little bit different from that white picket fence, that, like, like, plan that you have. And I was like, oh, okay. And we started praying. And, you know, the thing is, both, uh, both Char and I, we always thought it would be cool to spend some time in Asia, especially after a mission trip. I thought, you know what, like, Asia is a cool place to be. You know, during that time, we thought, you know, Shar's parents, they've always been in, in Taiwan, and, and, and we've been apart from them all this time. It would be great for us to spend time with them, and I could learn some Mandarin, and maybe we could both find work there and just work there for a little bit. And after praying about it, we, we decided that's what we're going to do. We decided to go to Taiwan and just spend nine months there. Nine months eventually became a year. A year became two. Two became three. Eventually, we were there for four years. Charlene was working at an advertising firm. I was working at a law firm there in Taipei. We were getting to know the family. Uh, you know, we, I was learning Mandarin slowly but surely. Um, but the best and most important part of our time in Taiwan was that we got connected with an amazing church community with pastors who really took us under their wing, who believed in us, who encouraged us, who gave us opportunities to serve, who really affirmed us in some of the callings that God had placed in our lives, and uh, who helped me to rediscover that the calling that God has on my life to be a pastor. And, you know, during that time, I rolled in seminary, and, and eventually, you know, when we were almost going back to Vancouver, our, our pastors, they came up, came up to us once, and they met with us, and they said, you know, we know that God has called you to Vancouver. We want to commission you guys to go back to Vancouver and start a branch church of our church in Vancouver. 
And, uh, you know, at the same time, uh, during that time, I got another offer. That other offer was from the firm that I was working for. And after four years working there, uh, one day I'm sitting in my boss's Mercedes Benz in the shotgun seat. And he says, he pulls over and he says, Justin, uh, I, I want to let you know we've got an offer for you. Um, you you've been here for four years and we're, we're pleased with the work that you've done. We want to offer you to become a, a junior partner in our firm. So you're not just a, a, an employee, but we want you to be a part owner of our firm and you can, you know, you can settle here. And um, during that time, I had these two offers that came, and, um, and we, we, both Shar and I, we prayed about it, and we both sensed that God was calling us to go back to Vancouver and to be part of planting a church in Vancouver, the Branch Church of Torch Church, and that is how Thrive Church was born. Yeah. And, um, and that is what we did. We came back to Vancouver, and, and, and that is how Thrive Church was born. God had a greater plan, Amen. If God did not close the door on that job in Vancouver, we would not be here today. We wouldn't have met all of you. We wouldn't have seen this church grow from you know, a small group of high schoolers, you know, from two to three to five to where we are today. We wouldn't have seen all these people come to know Jesus and getting baptized. We wouldn't see us going to the places where we are now and seeing God move in awesome ways. We wouldn't have seen any of that if the door had never closed. And so I can't, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm so thankful for closed doors, amen. Can you give God a big, big hand for every closed door, for all the ways that he closes doors? It's because he's not punishing you. He's not being cruel. He's not, it's not that he's not there. He doesn't care. It's because he's building and writing a greater story in your life. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. 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 And, you know, I, I've learned something from that whole experience is that when God closes a door, it's because he's writing a greater story in and through your life. One that's not just going to impact you. One that's not just going to impact your family, but it's going to impact people that you don't even know. It's going to impact generations after you so that long after you're gone, that story is going to impact those people as well. That is why God closes doors. It's because he's writing a greater story than you or I could ever imagine. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. You know, would I trade my life today for the life that I could have had if God had never closed that door? Absolutely not. There's absolutely no way. If I'd said yes to, you know, just my plans and I, and I had it my way, I would have never closed the door. But God closed the door because he, he was preparing us for something better. I didn't know it at the time, and I certainly didn't feel it at the time. But when God closed the door on that job, he was actually expanding my territory. Can you get that? Does that make sense? He was actually, by closing the door, he was actually expanding my territory. And I'm here to tell you the same thing today. If God has closed the door in your life, it's because he loves you. And he's actually expanding your territory. If God has closed the door in your life, it's because he loves you too much to let you have your own way. Why don't you write this down? Sometimes God loves us too much to let us have our own way. Sometimes God loves us too much to have our own way. If God let you have things your way, you would settle for something far less than is very best for you. And that's why he closes doors. First Chronicles 7, 20 to 27. We're just going to end with this today. First Chronicles is a very interesting book. We're going through it in our game time challenge. Are you guys doing the game time challenge? 
Yeah? It's been a good time of going to God's word every day, reading God's word, reading the Bible every day, spending time in prayer. I just noticed it was a 40-day game time challenge, but I just realized after counting the days, that's actually more than 40 days. I don't know if you noticed that. Do you guys count that? And so what that means is this, is that if you've missed a day or two days or even six days, you can still beat this challenge as long as you have 40 days. All right? Okay? But the thing is, we've been doing First Chronicles, which is not the easiest book to read. It's a lot of lists of names. There's about 600 names in just nine chapters, in the first nine chapters. But I think if you've been following along, you've been getting my emails, I think you've been starting to realize that within these nine chapters with all these names, there are some powerful lessons from the Word of God. Amen? Amen? Some powerful, powerful truth. Just something beautiful happens when the Spirit of God and the Word of God come together. And we've been seeing that in First Chronicles. And um, let me just show you one amazing lesson, one amazing truth that has something to do with closed doors today. Look at First Chronicles 7, 20, 27. Try to pronounce these names. If you can't, just laugh it off, all right? But here we go. It says, the descendants of Ephraim, Shethula, Barad his son, Tahath his son, Alida his son, Tahath his son, Zabad his son, and Shethila his son. Ezer and Iliad were killed by the native-born men of Gath when they went down to seize their livestock. Their father Ephraim mourned for them many days, and his relatives came to comfort him. Then he lay with his wife again, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. He named him Berea, because there had been misfortune in his family. His daughter was Shira, who built lower and upper Beth Horon, as well as Uz and Shira. Repha was his son, Reshef his son, Tila his son, Tehan his son, Ladan his son, Amud his son, Elishama his son, Nun his son, and Joshua his son. What in the world is going on here? Aren't you glad we have game, game time sharing emails? Praise God for those. Um, see, what's going on here is go back to verse 21. Verse 21. There's these two, verse 21. Verse 21, there are these two, these two guys, Ezer and Iliad. What's going on is the guy who's writing First Chronicles, he's, he's talking about the family tree of a guy called Ephraim. Everyone say Ephraim. And Ephraim, he's going through all the sons that have been born to him. There are these two sons called Ezer and Iliad. And what happens is one day Ephraim, he's got all this livestock. He's got all these cows and sheep. And these cows and sheep, they go missing because the Philistines, these foreigners, have taken the, the livestock away, brought them to a town called Gath. So Ephraim, he tells, hey, Ezer, Iliad, sons, why don't you go to Gath? Let's get those livestock back. Get it from those Philistines. They go to Philistia, and instead of taking back the livestock, his two sons are killed by the Philistines. It breaks Ephraim's heart. Look at verse, the next verse. It says, their, Ephraim, their father Ephraim mourned for them many days. His relatives came to comfort him. This is a door closed on Ephraim's life. The door of his relationship with his sons closed. Look at the next verse. Then he lay with his wife again, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. He named him Berea. Everyone say Berea. Because there had been misfortune in his family. Berea means misfortune. It's a play on words. The same word Berea means misfortune in the Hebrew language. And he calls him Berea because he's experienced great misfortune. He's experienced heartbreak. A door has closed in a big way in his life, and he calls him Berea. Maybe because he felt hopeless. Maybe because he felt like, you know what? I don't know what God is doing. I'm so, ha- I'm so sad. I'm so mad. It's just, it's just all misfortune. He calls his son Berea. But look what happens. Berea has his own children. It says in verse 24, his daughter was Shira. 
Maybe you grew up like me in the 80s and you, you learned about He-Man and Shira, Masters of the Universe. That's a, that's a different Shira. But Shira, she was a leader. She would become a builder of cities and towns, an amazing woman of God. Then it went down to verse 25, more sons from different generations. Verse 26, more sons from different generations. Finally, verse 27, Nun, his son, and Joshua, his son. You know who Joshua is? Joshua was the man that God chose to succeed Moses and to lead the Israelites to take on the promised land. And what am I here to tell you today is that out of Berea came Joshua. Out of misfortune came a savior. Amen. Joshua means he saves. It means a savior. And what that tells you today is that you might be going through a Berea of your own today. You might be going through a misfortune of your own today. But God has a way of using closed doors to show you later on that actually what he's doing is he's showing you a savior. His name is Jesus. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what he's doing when he closes the door. Come on, give him a big, big shout in this place right now. Amen. Amen. In fact, what, when God was closing the door in Ephraim's life, he was actually writing a greater story than Ephraim could ever think of or imagine. When God was closing the door on Ephraim's life, he was teaching Ephraim humility. When God was closing the door on Ephraim's life, he was giving Ephraim an unexpected opportunity to have another son and who would have eventually a great, 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 great grandson who would become a leader who would help save his people. And that's why God closes doors. It's close, he's closing doors in your life to write a greater story with generations in mind. If you believe that, say amen. Because God, he's not just focused on you and your generation. He's focused on generations after you. That through the way you overcame, through the story that you have to tell, generations after you will be blessed. You know, at the beginning of today, we looked at David and how he lost a son and then he gained another son. Remember that? Just now, we looked at Ephraim. He lost two sons, but he gained another son. Why does the Bible speak often about fathers losing sons? Can I tell you why? One big reason is because God is pointing us to the day when one day he would lose his own son, Jesus, so that he could gain sons and daughters called you and me. Amen. Amen. Is that God when we were separated from him, when the door was closed on our relationship with him, God kicked that door open and he said, I'm gonna send Jesus Christ to die so that you can live. I'm gonna send Jesus Christ to lose so that you can win. I'm gonna send Jesus Christ to pay for your sins so that you can become children of God in my house, in my kingdom, in my family. And if you're thankful to God for that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now because that's the kind of stuff he does. That's who he is. He's an amazing father and he creates great stories out of great misfortune. Praise God. Maybe you're here today and you've experienced some kind of Berea, some kind of misfortune. Maybe it's a miscarriage. Maybe it's the loss of someone you love. Maybe it's another, you know, closed door in your life. I'm here to tell you today, God is writing a greater story than anything you could ever imagine. Read Ephesians chapter 3, 20 to 21 with me. What does it say? It says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask for or imagine, according to his power that is a work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Look at Romans 8, 28. It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Everyone say, in all things. 
in all things, in everything you go through in life, with every closed door, with every heartbreak, with every worry, with every uncertainty, with every victory, with every joyful thing, with every blessing, with every defeat, with every failure, God is working in all things to build and to write a greater story than anything that you could ever write for yourself. And so don't give up today if you are facing a closed door. Don't give up today if you're facing a door that will not open because God is giving you a new opportunity to live for him like never before. God is giving you a lesson on humility so that you would depend on him more. God is giving you a story that you could not write more than what you could have in store because that is what God does when he closes a door. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place. Give him praise. Give him a shout as well. Come on. Come on, stand up to your feet. Let's give God praise. Let's give God thanks for all that he is, for what he has done, for what he is doing. Let's go to the worship team. We're going to respond to God in this place. Turn to your neighbor. Give him a high five and say, every closed door is a blessing in disguise. Say that to your neighbor right now. Every closed door, a blessing in disguise. Every closed door, an opportunity. Every closed door, a lesson on humility. Every closed door, just one more chapter in a story that God writes, not us. If you believe that say amen and ask the team to lead us in a song let's respond to God who's writing an awesome story in and through our lives let's do that together right now with every head bowed and every eye closed I just want to invite you to respond to God in the teaching of his word today today we've learned that whenever God closed the door it's because he's doing three things whenever God closed the door he's giving you a new opportunity to live for him like never before Whenever God closed the door, he's teaching you humility that you would depend on him more. Whenever God closed the door, he's writing in and through your life a greater story than anything you could have in store. That's what happens when God closed the door. Maybe you're here in this place and you've experienced a closed door and at first you've been discouraged, you've been frustrated, you've been confused, you've been scared, and it might have been very, very painful for you, but you're here today and as you listen to God's word, you realize that God is up to something more. He's up to something more. He's giving you a new and unexpected opportunity to live from like never before. He's teaching you humility so you would depend on him more. And he's writing a story in your life that you couldn't have in store. And if that's you and you realize today that that's you and you want to make the most out of the closed door, realizing that it's not a curse, but it's a blessing in disguise, then why don't you lift your hand to God on the count of three and we're gonna respond to God together today. Why don't you do that together? If that's you, just why don't you raise your hand on the count of one, two, three, raise your hands in this place right now. Start talking to God from your own heart, in your own words. Just start talking to God and just thank Him today that He's giving you a new opportunity. Thank Him today that He's teaching you humility. Thank Him today that He's writing a greater story in and through your life. Just thank Him today. Just give Him praise today. Just talk to Him today from your own heart, in your own words right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise your name today. Praise you, Father. Praise you, God. Praise you, Father. Praise your name, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. There's none like you. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Why don't you just pray this prayer with me right now? You can say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Thank you. Thank you. For working in my life. For working in my life. That whenever you close a door. Whenever you close the door. It's not punishment. It's, not punishment. it's a blessing in disguise. Because you're teaching me humility. So I can depend on you more. 
You're giving me a new opportunity to live for you like never before. You're writing a greater story than anything I could have in store. So I come to you today and I thank you for the closed door. Thank you that you're going to work it all out for my good and more importantly for your glory. Not just for me but for generations after me. Thank you for the story you're writing in and through my life. Expand your territory in me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now? Woo!